0: Yeah, hello, hi everyone. Welcome to Escape from the Burnout Society. I am Gabriela Guzman, I am your host. And today I have a very special couple. My guests this time are Karen Newell and Eben Alexander. Um, Karen Newell is an author and specialist in personal development with a diver- diverse body of work that rests upon the foundation of heart-centered consciousness. She is an innovator in the field of brainwave entrainment audio meditation. Karen helps people to connect to inner guidance, achieve inspiration, improve wellness and develop intuition. She is co-founder of Sacred Acoustics and co-author with Evan Alexander MD of Living in a Mindful Universe. Now we'll say about Dr. Evan Alexander. Evan was an academic neurosurgeon for over 25 years including 15 years at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, Children's Hospital, and Harvard Medical School in Boston, a pioneering scientist and modern thought leader with a passionate interest in physics and cosmology. He is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, The Map of Heaven, and Living in a Mindful Universe. Karen and Evan, you are very welcome to our show.
1: Well, Gabriella, thank you so much for having us on. It's a real joy to be with you.
0: Yes, we can't wait to have this talk with
2: you for your audience.
0: Yeah, well, I, I can also, uh, couldn't wait anymore because I promised everyone that I would have some experts in meditation and neuroscience, and here you are. So I want to explain my audience that, um, but you are very special to me because, um, because of your work, um, I really could recover better from my burnout, which I have uh, two years ago. And uh, also through this uh, guidance, I was also um, able to find my way back into what I call the burnout society. And uh, well, as we know, we have a very stressful uh, moment, eh, especially right now, but there are so many people in my audience that have very busy lives, and can't cope with uh, work, having a family and uh, uh, with their own health and many other problems they have. So this chronic stress is uh, making us sick, literally. And uh, well, today we are going to talk about how to get out of this and uh, how to improve our lives. So my first question, I think I will, um, I have to talk about uh, um, the experience well, in the first place, how you met, but to come to this point, I think I have to ask Evan to explain to our audience mm-hmm. about uh, an event that happened in his life some years ago. And uh, uh, based upon this experience, well, I think you got together and now you're working together. So Evan, could you explain our audience what it was?
1: Yes. Uh... Well, I'd spent the first 54 years of my life honing a very conventional scientific worldview, believing that uh, the physical world is all that exists, um, and that the brain creates consciousness, uh, even though I realized nobody had any clue how that actually uh, worked, but it was our assumption. Uh, And then November 10th, 2008, I was driven deep into coma, Within a few hours, um, spent seven days in coma, had a fantastic uh, spiritual experience that, by the tenets of modern neuroscience, cannot have happened. That's why the scientific community takes my proof of heaven story so seriously. And there's a medical case report that came out in of Nervous and Mental Diseases in. September 2018, That confirms just how sick I was, how unexpected it would be for that brain to produce any kind of a conscious uh, experience. And yet what I had was the most amazing, ultra real, uh, kind of memorable and meaningful experience I've ever had in my life, all at a time when the Uh, medical exam, uh, neurologic exam, et cetera, documented a neocortex that was disabled and couldn't even do that kind of thing anymore. So uh, my case is a very strong scientific example that the brain is not the producer of consciousness. Um, You know, an atypical feature was my amnesia, uh, but I went through three main phases, the earthworms I view, this beautiful ultra real gateway valley, uh, and then through yet another musical portal up into Uh, the core realm where I encountered that in uh, that indescribably loving and healing force that God force that is so reassuring to so many uh, journeyers over thousands of years across all belief systems Um, and really uh, the 12 years work since then has been working with scientists to help understand this experience and the Myriad other near-death experiences uh, because they really show us the absolute reality of a spiritual realm and that we're spiritual beings And that's kind of the essence of the proof of heaven story in my journey The scientific community is fully on board with uh, expanding this view of reality and um, the world is waking up So uh, that in a nutshell is kind of what I went through and it's all explained in much more detail in, in the books proof of heaven And especially living in a mindful universe
0: yeah i read i read all your books <laughs> i'm now right. i'm uh, reading uh living in the mindful universe right now um so you had this experience mind-blowing life-changing and then you went i think in search of more I mean, you know i mean you're like as a scientist you are very curious you need to know more you have to get more information what, what is what the hell happen to you and then all of a sudden you also met karen When was this?
1: Well, that was all the beauty of it because I'd spent about a year and a half, two years after my coma, realized I had to explore consciousness. In other words, I had to go within consciousness to claim to have any understanding of it at all. And that meant... Uh, a very active, regular uh, practice of meditation. And I was just getting into that, especially with a powerful form of differential frequency brain entrainment when I met Karen Newell. That was in September of 2011. I was also coming to realize the power of the philosophical model of idealism. That is that there's a mental layer of the universe responsible for all the emergent reality that we find. And Karen had been living her life entirely acknowledging the reality of idealism uh, as a philosophical system. So, wow,
2: Well, when ask for more. It's funny, <laughs> when we first met, we were both attending a workshop that would allow us to use this sound in order to get into expanded states, to calmer states of awareness. But when I first met him, I knew he'd had a near-death experience, but his book hadn't come out yet. He didn't even have an agent or a publisher. But I knew that people had really usually profound spiritual lessons that they learned. And so I asked him, what did you learn in your near-death experience? And he says, the brain doesn't create consciousness. And I was confused and said, well, why would anyone think that? And so that kind of showed us right then and there the two spectrums we were at. So he had come from this very materialist minded scientific background, which is really, a belief that has become ingrained into our modern at least western culture that only the physical exists and everything else our thoughts our dreams all of that is an illusion and so that's something i never considered to be real but Evan had just realized that we were much much more than our physical bodies and i had known that all along ever since i was a child i even though people would tell me different things about religion and science i knew we were eternal souls. I just had this inner knowing, and many children do. I dare say most children do, and then as they grow up, they're told otherwise. And so when we kind of got together around all of this, we, uh, Eben, very quickly realized that I could be useful in uh, helping teach people how to reach the realms that he reached during his near-death experience without having to have an MDE. Because I had been spending years uh, cultivating and generating personal experience of my own so that I could feel that connection to something greater, so that I could know with certainty that I was more than my physical body. And once you kind of figure this out, once you develop this knowing within, it changes everything about how you approach life. And I think especially how you are focused on this burnout and stress in our world. So uh, I think that's where this conversation is going to lead us.
0: Yeah, indeed. Well, it, it's, uh, it, it's really amazing how, you know, somebody wants to know more about a field that is completely unknown and then you meet someone else who has already been living there for years. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> like you were exactly what I was looking for. So that's really fantastic. This kind of synchronicity is really still amazes me uh, a lot. But so, okay, but you met each other and Karen, did you have immediately this idea like, oh, uh, we could do something together? Is there something? Uh, that to- <laughs> yet? All right. No, not I
2: at figured all. It out. <laughs> Evan was very, uh, very certain that we had some kind of future working and being together. I did not, I was very resistant. And my head was telling me, no, just no, this isn't the right thing. Um, I've got other things I need to be doing. But it was something else that drove me to realize I did need to be with him. And that was some kind of inner knowing, some kind of inner drive that came over me. And it all started that weekend when we first met when we were doing an exercise. And the group of us, maybe about 20, 20, 25 people, we were standing in a circle and we were holding hands and we were asked to feel the energy moving through our bodies around the circle into the left and then to the right. Just a very simple exercise that people often do to just kind of feel energy. And then we were asked to split into pairs And one person would stand still and the other one would walk into that person's field, walk closer to them and notice with their hands uh, what might be different as you get closer to that person. So we're walking into each other's fields, kind of feeling that border if there was any of of some kind of uh, energy. And as we were doing this, walking in and out of each other's energy fields, I started to get this very uh, strong feeling within, and I was nervous about talking about it. But Evan was not, and we were supposed to tell each other what we were feeling. And he said to me, "I feel the yin and the yang of our hearts joining as one." And I thought, "Wow, that's poetic." And I thought, "That's kind of what I'm feeling inside." And he described it, and it was just this feeling of recognition of um, Understanding of completion of some kind of it's so hard to explain, and it's one of those things like in your death experience or any kind of spiritual type experience that you really can't understand fully until you experience it yourself. But I felt this amazing connection to him as if we'd already known each other, and that's what I resisted. I, I thought, no, no, this can't be real. I've got you know other focuses to worry about. But it was, it was, as they say in uh, Star Trek, resistance is futile. (laughs) And that's what it felt like. I couldn't resist. And it wasn't a decision. You know, I had been, we quickly began a working relationship, but also a personal relationship. And I had been in other partnerships, marriages previously. And when I got with those individuals, It was a decision I made. It was a mental choice that I made. Um, Yes, this person is suitable. Yes, I like this about this person. Yes, I should be with this person. But with Eben, there was no thought at all. It was just this amazing drive that we belong together. And so that's where we found ourselves. And Eben was very, very certain that we would be working together. And I was someone who had spent my career doing uh, technical support behind the scenes, uh, graphic design production, but nothing where I was actually, you know, interacting with the world. And he thought, he said to me, "We are going to travel the world together." This was the first week we knew each other. We're going to travel the world together, and you will be up on stage with me, and people will know that we, what we share, just by just by being in our presence. And I looked at him and I said, you are a nut. You are crazy. (laughs) I am never going to be on a stage with anyone anywhere. And so maybe I'll be in the audience. And he said, no, no, you'll be up there with me. And so it wasn't about mm, four months after Proof of Heaven came out. This was January of 2013, when someone local asked him to give a workshop. And so that's when he put my name on the flyer and said, You're coming. <laughs> and uh, that's when I began Final to feel
1: promotion. That's
2: when I began to teach with Evan. And that's when uh, I really had to draw on my own personal experiences with um, all of these things. You know, with, with the near death experience, it happens just suddenly, and people find themselves in this other realm. And it, it, it seems that it just happens without any kind of. Uh, you know, trigger on their part. But I wanted to have that kind of experience. And so when I tried all of the different ways to feel that connection, that's when I realized I did have some information to share with others. And it's, it's just grown since then.
1: I knew she had a tremendous amount to share. That's what I picked up the first time we met. And I had a very strong vision that we would be traveling the world and, of uh, you know, helping the world in, in these ways that we do. Uh, although I will remind your audience that at that point in time, I had not been up on stage talking with anybody about this myself.
2: That you had been a neurosurgeon, <laughs> talking right. I at had, many, many I
1: had given more than 200 presentations yes. as a neurosurgeon. So yes, I was, I was comfortable with the idea of speaking to audiences, but uh, this was completely different. And I knew it the instant that Karen and I met um so
2: but i'm sure you're uh uh the the thing that we really bonded over was the sound uh Mm -hmm. among everything else in terms of a tool to share with other people and sound was a very much an important key in my own journey because when i first tried to meditate uh you know i wanted to learn how to feel energy and communicate and have telepathy and all of that but i didn't realize that meditation was a very important foundation. And when I tried to meditate, it was incredibly challenging because I was so busy. I was raising a child. I had a full-time job and I was a project manager. And so when I would try to meditate, those are the things that I would think about. All of those worries and concerns and plans would be racing through my mind. But when I found this, there were a few things, but one of the keys was this particular type of sound, this brainwave entrainment technology, really helped to quiet the mind and and it was, uh, you know, you get so intimidated, at least I did, when you hear that it takes 10,000 hours for a monk in Tibet to be considered an expert at meditating. Well, nobody in the West with jobs and children has that kind of time. And so uh, these sounds were a very useful tool. I kind of call them like training wheels so that they help you learn how to get into those states much more quickly, for example, than sitting in a cave for 10,000 hours by yourself, you know, training yourself to get into these states. So the sounds are a very, very useful tool. But I'll let you kind of go from here. We don't want to- No, no, no. I mean, it's very interesting. (laughs) You're
0: already uh, answering some questions I have from you both, so it's perfect. And uh, well, I can imagine that the neurosurgeon that knows the brain from inside out Literally, uh, certainly has to uh, talk to people about another kind of experience, and uh, that will that would be very strange, of course. But when you do it together, you know it's these reasons that the heart knows that the mind doesn't know, why people come together and can work together. So um, I uh, I really can see you both on the stage and uh, doing it perfect, both of, of you. But. Just like right now, uh, we're talking about this, this um, um, uh, working together and now we're talking about the sound, you know, and this is the way uh, I think Sacred Acoustics was born, if I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, that's
2: exactly how Sacred Acoustics was born. I had already met Kevin Cossey, who was the audio engineer, and he and I had spent about a year creating our own files, just our, our own recordings just for our own kind of personal growth and exploration. And it's when we met Eben and after he, you know, realized we had a tool that could be shared with other people, he is the catalyst for us going forward with creating Sacred Acoustics.
1: I knew that Karen and, and Kevin were very good at uh, making powerful binaural beat brainwave entrainment. It was the best I'd ever heard. And uh, so I encourage them to get together and run with this and, and provide these uh, to the public at large, which they've done through sacredacoustics.com. So uh, it was absolutely the right move. And I'll, I'll just point out for your listening audience, one reason I believe these sounds have so much power in uh, engendering transcendental states of conscious awareness is unlike most sounds you've ever heard, and that would include every chant, anthem, hymn, that has ever sent you into a transcendental state of conscious awareness. All those sounds are processed up in the neocortex in circuits that have basically arisen in the last one to five million years among primates and homo sapiens. Whereas the circuits that process sacred acoustics are actually way down in the lower brainstem. It's a circuit that's more than 300 million years old in an evolutionary viewpoint. In fact, it arose before mammals walked the earth. So a very ancient circuit. And I believe it's by having an impact on that circuit, uh, a phenomenon that was first discovered in the mid 1800s by a Prussian physicist, uh, and then realized in the 20th century by certain investigators, uh, binaural beats could enhance um, uh, certain states of out of body and remote viewing. but. Of, I was very impressed with what Karen and Kevin were able to to provide as I have been ever since. I use sacred acoustics an hour or two a day. I've been doing that for more than a decade now.
0: And can it's you explain- the beautiful way to return. Yeah. Can you explain uh, to our audience what the binaural beats really mean? What is this? I mean, I, I understand a little bit, but I think some people just might not re- realize what is and what is so um, different from the other beats we we use for uh, meditation?
2: Okay, well, binaural beats are a very specialized uh, way of creating sound. And so at its very basic, it's putting one frequency in one ear and a slightly different frequency in the other ear. And it's the difference between those two frequencies that correspond to different brainwave states as measured within EEG. That's why we call it brainwave entrainment. So if the difference between those frequencies is say four Hertz, that is the frequency that's between sleep and awake. So Delta is the state of coma or very deep sleep. That is when your brain will be producing a signal of zero to four Hertz on an EEG. Four to seven Hertz is the theta state that's associated with meditation, creativity, fantasy. And then eight to 12 Hertz, that's the alpha range. That's associated with relaxation, with, with uh, focus, with uh, uh, concentration. And then 12 to 30 Hertz, that's beta. That's our walking around analytical space. That's the space that we're trying to escape when we go into a meditative state. So generally speaking, when people are in a deep meditative state, they're in that theta range, four to seven hertz. So, when we can deliver a binaural beat that is a four hertz signal, and what it ends up sounding like is not just a straight tone, but sort of a wah, wah, wah sound that varies depending on the difference of those two frequencies. So, that's at its very simplest, but we take many, many layers of these binaural beats and sometimes more than one brainwave state at once. So say maybe some four Hertz to get you very relaxed, but then maybe we add in a little eight Hertz to bring your awareness up a little bit, because sometimes when people listen to these, it's very easy to just fall asleep. And what we're trying to do is get the body profoundly relaxed, which is of course a benefit all in and of itself, but also to keep the mind aware so that the mind can create different awarenesses of uh, different types of expanded states. And it's, it's kind of like dreaming. Um, when people go into a dream state, you might have different imagery show up or, or such, such things that are kind of corresponding to your daily life that are sometimes useful and sometimes not. And a lucid dream is actually when you wake up inside of a dream, you're still dreaming, but you realize you're dreaming. And so this is kind of the opposite, where you're in an awake state and you're going into a very relaxed state, but maybe to create those kinds of uh, those, those kinds of imagery. And believe it or not, by paying attention to your inner world in this way, by by bringing more calm and inner peace, by learning to calm those thoughts, you actually start to influence the world around you. And so many of us, when we're having a lot of stress, we we wanna change what's going on in the outer world. And we believe that that's what will help us feel calmer. But right now, especially right now, it is so, so challenging for many of us to have any type of ability to manage or control our outer world. That makes it a perfect time to try to manage your inner world. So taking the time to quiet your thoughts, even the most basic form of meditation, whether using a, a tool like sacred acoustics or not, taking time to do that, to calm your inner world, is actually helping to bring peace to the entire world. And this can be rather overwhelming to think about, but it's kind of like, um, we say there's local and non-local consciousness. So non-local consciousness is when you're off on an NDE or you're you know, having a deep meditative experience and such but local consciousness is what's happening right here, right now. And if we can learn to manage our own local consciousness, knowing that it's connected to all the other consciousnesses in the world, which is another concept we haven't touched on, that's when you're contributing to that one collective consciousness we're all a part of. And so you asked about binaural beats, that's how binaural beats can help us to sort of as Evan puts it, escape the thinking mind of the neocortex and get to more of that primitive sort of
0: now being state. Yeah, well, I have experienced it myself. I uh, have uh, some of your uh, recordings from uh, Sacred Acoustics and I just really can tell that I had this problem of not getting the mind quiet at all. Mm it was a, a challenge. I was also, well, I was many hours in bed. So I thought, well, if I'm already in bed, I just can't just go meditating, isn't it? I have blackouts. I couldn't remember anything. My short memory was completely gone. Uh, it got to a point that was a little bit dangerous because I didn't even know, did I cross the street or didn't I cross the street? Where, where do you put my keys? It was completely blurry, blurry every day for uh, many weeks actually. And um, so I thought let's try meditating, but my mind will keep on talking to me all this time. This linguistic mind is talking and talking and saying stories and what what would have been if, and will be if. And um, so at a certain point when I started using uh, music for meditation, especially uh, binaural beats, it just really helped me to follow it and forget about the mind. I mean, I will still listen to my mind, but it was something else that will be there to follow at the moment I will lose my way. And um, so that's how I went from five minutes to 10, to 15, to 20, to 30. And then one day I really just got my short term memory again. That I could right. really, yes. Wow. I was so overwhelmed, I went back to my work and I could really remember even things that happened a year ago, very clearly again. And I was like, oh my God, I have it still there. It's not gone. I was Wonderful. very, yeah, I was very worried I would never could work again. And I would stay with this kind of, of uh, um, pregnancy uh, <laughs> you know, forgetfulness. You can't it's like, you don't remember even your name, but it, it, it went away it went away it, it, i'm right. almost completely there and it, it, it's due to meditation so one of the first things i thought when i was creating this podcast it was i have to share this with people But well, i'm going to bring people who know uh, more about it and who have all the experience and uh, all the knowledge about it so um so another uh, question about uh, meditation is uh, when I talk to people, many people say, Oh, yes, I, I do yoga. I like yoga. I, I do the stretching because it's healthy, but I don't like the meditation. <laughs> and uh, so I say, yeah, but the meditation is really a very important part of it because it's part of the, of the whole. The idea of getting distress stress out of your body is to be relaxed as a whole not only your mind, your mind and your body is, is one actually. And well, now we're talking about the consciousness and the non-local consciousness. Well, I also read uh, your books and I, I came into this new world when I thought like now we can have this talk with science and spir- spirituality that they, they, they talk to each other and now they're, they're kind of scientific proof that there is a non-local consciousness. And it might be that through meditation, we can get into this state of mind that also gives you us a lot of health, of, of makes us healthy again if we got sick. Um, so I want to ask you, I mean, Evan or uh, Karen, um, what do you think is going to be now the next step for science in, in terms of uh, meditation and, and non-local conscience? Because I think people who are listening to this podcast should know there's something going around, and um, it has been uh, through materialistic way of thinking, has been not very present in our lives, but now this is changing. So where's, where's the next step?
1: Well, I think the first thing to point out here is in terms of questions like the afterlife, is there an afterlife, and is reincarnation real, The scientific answers are already there. I mean, you don't, the data exists. All you have to do is review the data and you'll start realizing that the evidence for the reality of those things is is, uh, already present. Um, And then the the real gift for so many here is connecting with that greater aspect of self, of uh, kind of that higher soul and what Karen and I uh, argue is primordial mind. You know, in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, that entire book, unites science and spirituality by pointing out the reality of uh, objective idealism. That's the notion that uh, there's a mental layer of the universe that sentient beings have access to, uh, that has everything to do with controlling uh, and modulating events that come into our reality. Uh, And that's why, for example, Uh, in this discussion of of essentially mind over matter, important to point out that medical science for the last six decades has already honored the power of belief and of mind and of our thoughts and assumptions and the power they have in our healing through placebo effect. Uh, Placebo effect is not just giving somebody a sugar pill to get rid of their headache, but in fact is a very profound example of how our beliefs and attitudes and thoughts play a tremendous role in our very healing. Medical science has come to acknowledge that over the last six decades. Ask Big Pharma if it's true, of course it is. And right out of the gate, they have about a 30% barrier they have to overcome that has to do with the power of belief. Uh, There's a lot of emerging uh, evidence uh, in our modern world that proper uh, kind of interaction with this primordial mind and with that interface of the mind that is greater than just our little individual self can have a tremendous role in determining our emergent uh, reality. And placebo effect is just the beginning of that. If you go to noetic.org, uh, the Institute of Noetic Sciences website, put in the search term spontaneous uh, remission, you'll find a book they published uh, uh, that you can download for free now, even though it's been out of print for a while. Um, but that, that book has more than 3,500 cases uh, of, spontaneous recovery and remission uh, from advanced cancers, infections, things like that, in spite of uh, their failure to respond to Western medical interventions. So this is an extraordinary body of evidence supporting kind of the spiritual power of healing. Um, And essentially my own NDE is is one of several that uh, are kind of like the tip of the spear of of those uh, placebo cases, because the healing in my case is really inexplicable. That was brought out in a case report that was written by three doctors who were not involved in my care, but that case report came out in September 2018 in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases. Um, and anyone can get to that case report if you go to evanalexander.com. Look in my blog posting for September 2018 and you'll find in the third paragraph a link directly to that. But the bottom line is all of this is about accessing the power of our free will of our soul uh, and how it intersects not only with our ability to heal self and others, but also to bring the world of our dreams into fruition.
0: Yeah, amazing. Um, and um, so this is the next step. What do you think about where is going up uh, meditation going to lead us i think it's just like people say right now i go to the yoga but i skip the meditation that within a few years they will say like oh no but the meditation that's all about that's the most important thing what do you think Uh, Aaron?
2: well one thing one thing that's really important to point out is yoga the original practice of yoga includes many, 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 many things mostly to do with the mind. And it's the physical uh, aspect of yoga that came to the West first. And so for people to think that that's all there is to yoga as is an exercise, that's not the case. It actually is a very holistic approach to many, many aspects of ourselves. And so when people go to do yoga and skip the meditation, they're actually skipping the most critical part Because yoga, along with being a physical exercise, is also training for the mind to be in certain positions, to, you know, get certain energy flowing. It's all related. And so to think of it just as an exercise is kind of missing the point of what yoga offers. But as we move forward, I believe that, you know, ever since the Dalai Lama in the uh, 90s, asked or somehow collaborated with Western research institutes to study the effects of meditation. There are countless, countless research already been done that show lowering stress, raising the immune system, that all kinds of benefits that probably you've discussed many, many times, but the benefits are there and people need to realize this. I think as we move forward, when people, You know, a lot of people in our Western world don't think of themselves as being spiritual. They're very proudly materialist people because they've realized that, you know, they've they've overcome religious dogma and whatnot. But what they're doing when they reject all of spirituality is throwing the baby out with the bathwater, because while you may want to... Uh, reject or not really believe in religious dogma, that doesn't mean that we're not a spiritual being. And so many people, when they go into meditation, they want to get more in touch with that spiritual aspect of of themselves, but others don't realize that that's even important. And so using meditation to reduce anxiety, to get better sleep, to, uh, you know, uh, have better focus, to cure short-term memory things like you have going on. This is where I think meditation can become more mainstream, when people realize it can actually reduce anxiety. And we actually did a pilot study using sacred acoustics recordings in a very busy New York City psychiatric practice. And this psychiatrist, Dr. Anna Youssef, she prescribed these recordings and the listening protocols that I provided to her patients. And she had them fill out the state trait anxiety inventory, which is very commonly used in psychiatric research to measure levels of anxiety. And she found that after just two weeks of listening, these patients reduced their anxiety by 26% over just two weeks. And those patients who just got regular therapy and did not listen to the recordings, their anxiety was reduced by only 7% in that same timeframe. So while these people introduced this habit of listening to the recordings, part of it was was creating a uh, meditative practice, say 20 minutes a day. And of course I'm with you. Start with five, build to 10, then get to 20 because 20 can be very intimidating and overwhelming at first. But if you can do 20 minutes and listening to a recording makes it easier because you just put it on like you're listening to music and wait till it's finished. But uh, there were other benefits that these same patients had that weren't measured scientifically. So they reported that they were able to sleep better, that one medical student used them to help her study for her board exams and saw uh, improvement in her scores. And Eben's son also, while he was in med school, was using the same recording to Mm -hmm. help study to help study as well. And other people found that uh, difficult relationships that they had been trying to uh, reckon with suddenly seemed to work themselves out. People started reporting all kinds of things that didn't seem at all related to listening to these binaural beats, but they happened over the same time period. And so there's lots and lots of ways that a meditative practice can really help our daily lives. So we talk about the spiritual benefits, but for those who aren't ready to kind of go there, there are so many aspects to daily life that can be helped, but these tones can be listened to while performing other activities. That's what I was trying to say, not just through a meditative practice. So I like how you say, well, you were in bed anyway, so why not do this? That's a beautiful thing. And so many people, you know, who listen to these while they're studying, or listening just to uh, relax. They don't have to think of it as meditation necessarily, but just sort of a, a timeout from the world, like you would listen to regular music to kind of take a break from it all. Try listening to these binaural beats and find you find that it gives you this kind of different way of uh, experiencing the world. And so I think with meditation, it really just is more and more getting it into the mainstream and people realizing that it's not just for spiritual activities, but for very practical daily types of benefits.
1: I would just add that um, one of the things we often teach people in our workshop is to realize the little voice in your head, uh, that little running stream of thoughts. Uh, I love how Michael Singer puts it in his book, The Untethered Soul. He calls that little voice in our head, the annoying roommate. And that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things that Karen and I stress in our meditation play shops is helping people identify that their conscious awareness is a much bigger form of of being and of consciousness. And that's what they can identify with by putting that little voice, the little voice of the ego mind uh, that uses fear and anxiety as its main tools, putting that into timeout very easily and subtly uh, with these kind of mental techniques that we teach. is very powerful and opening up to that neutral observer within which is really our gateway through the uh, veiling function of the brain into primordial mind, into that infinitely powerful and healing form of the mental layer of the universe. And that's what we like to help people connect with uh, through sacred acoustics.
0: Yeah, so I think people should um, just uh, trust the process. Because some people tell me well okay i close my eyes now what <laughs> what do i see well it's not that you're going to watch a full color movie or something i mean it, it, it's it's very funny to to see that people want immediate results they really want to immediately feel something or feel something and I always say, well, you know, you have to get used to it because it's nothing that we do every day. So of course, you're not going to have the experience, the sensorial experiences you have every day. It's something you really have to get into and, and just trust the process. It will come by itself. I, I would add that um,
2: if people really the best way to understand what these recordings can do for you is to try them. And every brain is different. Our brain, our brain waves are, when you read them off an EEG, are as unique as fingerprints from one person to the next. And so when you listen to these binaural beats, we're all gonna respond a little differently. But we offer a 20-minute recording. If you go to sacredacoustics.com, put in your email address, we'll send you a 20-minute ohm recording that has these uh, roughly four hertz uh, signals in them. Yes, it's completely free. And also, The same recordings that we used in the Manhattan Psychiatric Practice pilot study, uh, which actually was published also in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease in February of 2020, um, those recordings are available on our website. They're called the Whole Mind Bundle, and if you go to the homepage and scroll down a bit or just search for Whole Mind Bundle, you'll find the same exact set of recordings used in that pilot study and the listening protocols. An audio program guide is included. And this includes recordings in the Delta, the Theta and the Alpha range. So you can figure out for yourself how you respond to these different frequencies. But because of the COVID crisis, we have reduced that price drastically. And we also have an option that's labeled free because we know so many people are in financial uncertainty All of those who can afford to pay for it helps us to support all those who cannot. And we've had hundreds, thousands of people download this free set of recordings with our gratitude because the more of us who take the time to go within, to quiet the mind, to reduce anxiety, the more the rest of us will benefit because each of us is affecting the people around us without us even realizing. And one way that happens, if if I can digress, is through the electromagnetic field of the heart. HeartMath Institute in California has been studying the heart for decades they find it emits an electromagnetic field much much larger than the brains the brain emits one as well but the heart's electric magnetic field is 60 times greater the electric aspects the magnetic aspects are 3000 times greater and so brain. than the brains and mm-hmm. so this field is expanding and contracting around our bodies well beyond our bodies and as it does this whatever emotion you're having in your system whatever state of being you are holding that's being broadcast to the world around you so we all have been around the people who are feeling anxious who are feeling upset or depressed and you can kind of feel when you're around them that it it maybe isn't the same as being around someone who is expressing a lot of joy and happiness and their bubble is just so filled with this joy, you kind of feel it. And so I like to think of that as the electromagnetic fuel. And so that's another benefit. As we take the responsibility for calming our inner world, we're actually causing our hearts to radiate good beneficial energy to those around us. So some of us who think that it's selfish to go within and to, you know, take that time to ourselves, it's actually not selfish it, it, it's it's helping yourself but at the same exact time it's helping others and so i know if i'm with a doctor or anyone who's trying to help me with anything i would much rather be helped by someone who is calm within who has a centered balance type of energy and that makes me feel more comfortable when that person is offering me advice So all of yous out there who feel like, no, 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 I can't take time for myself. I need to help other people. Just know by taking that time to bring that sort of calm and balance within, you are helping others immeasurably without even having to say a word.
0: Yeah, that's the power of meditation indeed. And uh, well, you're just talking about uh, the heart coherence. And um, I think for some of my... uh, for people in my audience, they will have like a question mark, like what do you exactly mean by this heart coherence and how does it, this works it together with the brain? Can you give us an idea of it? Yes, well, the
2: heart math people and other forms of uh, meditation will ask you to time the, your, your breathing with the heartbeat. And so that's one way to develop that coherence but that can be kind of tricky at first to, to gain that ability. And so that the very most basic, they recommend that you generate a feeling of gratitude, not just a thought of gratitude. Many of us can, and especially me, I could think of things I was grateful for, but it didn't necessarily when I had those thoughts create a feeling within. And so it's very critical to generate that feeling. And as I was practicing this, it was very challenging to just generate a feeling of gratitude at will. And uh, it was advised that, that uh, for those of us where it's tricky to go back into our life and find events that happened in the past that caused us to have that feeling. And for me, it was when my mother took in a stray dog when I was six years old. And this dog was pregnant. We didn't know this until she crawled under my bed one evening. And I woke up in the morning to find there were puppies that had been born underneath my bed. And this for me was a completely joyous, just miracle of life uh, type of experience. Now, my mother probably didn't have that same uh, response because she had to clean it all up and and deal with that. So not all of us are going to have the same type of uh, triggers. And so for some puppies might be dirty. For me, puppies were happy and joyful. And when I had that memory, it caused me to remember all the dogs I had known and loved throughout my lifetime. And I was actually at that time when I first felt this feeling holding a new puppy that we had just taken into our home. And this was uh, probably about 12 or 13 years ago. And as I was having those memories and feeling the puppy on my chest, I felt this amazing thing open up in my heart. And it was similar to a feeling I would have say um, in that moment of when I was there with those puppies all those years ago, but I had generated it just with my thinking and my memories. And as I went through my days after that, it became more easy. And when I would lay in bed at night, that's what I would try and do was generate these feelings of gratitude. And as I went through many days and weeks of doing this, one day I was coming home from work and I was working at that time in Baltimore City. And as you drive through Baltimore City, very often at that time, at least there were homeless people standing on the corners asking for money. And many of us, including myself, had just become kind of numb to all of this and would drive past them every day and just just ignore them. And one day I saw someone different. I saw a man I hadn't seen before, and he had blonde curly hair. He was a little younger than many of the others. And he reminded me of someone I'd known in high school. And I thought, I'm going to give this man some money. And so when I stopped, I looked through my wallet and I had all the denominations and I chose to pull out a $20 bill. And I handed this man a $20 bill and he gripped it in both hands and looked at me and said, thank you, now I can go get something to eat. And I heard his words, but I felt his gratitude. And when I felt his gratitude, it just bubbled up around me in the most amazing way. And this is what HeartMath would call coherence. When our heart can feel like it's the center of our attention, it actually sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. The heart actually calms the mind down. It's not the other way around. So when our hearts can feel this gratitude, it calms our thinking mind, whereas our thinking mind really just causes our heart to kind of get small and and suppressed. And so that's why we kind of need to flip our thinking generate these feelings of gratitude, especially while in meditation, can bring you this uh, type of energy that you take out into the world, not just while you're in meditation, but when you go out into the world and deal with people, that energy comes with you and the rewards will come with time. It's not going to be immediate. Some people, when they first listen to these recordings, will notice an immediate effect. And some people will say, well, I got really relaxed, but nothing happened. And I said, "Um, you got really relaxed, right? That's what just happened. And while you were just saying they expect a vision or, you know, something really amazing and technicolor to show up or this very obvious voice of God or whatever it is. No, first you just want to get relaxed, right? So many people are stressed. This is a podcast on burnout and so I would think that becoming relaxed would be very much celebrated and once we can get to the relaxed state that's when we can start you know doing different meditative techniques breathing exercises different visualizations for those who sit and don't know what to do I suggest that you try some guided meditations because that those types and all of our recordings come with a guided version and a non-guided version so that people can experience both, but especially beginners, I know for my case, it really helped to have someone kind of guiding me what to visualize, um, You know what, what might be possible. And then of course, sometimes those guided visualizations will tell you, you're walking down a path and there's a stream, but you're not getting an idea of a stream and that can be frustrating. So there, there's both, both sides of this. And so it takes a little trial and error to find what works best for each individual. We're all gonna find a little bit different sort of magic formula of techniques. The main thing is to try them.
1: And I would just add that the the linguistic brain kind of, uh, you know, it's the thing we're trying to suppress and get away from to to this expanded version of mind. And that's one of the reasons why the verbal guidance is very important uh, in the early use of these tones, but that Um, that uh, they've made it such that uh, you can always then listen to one without the verbal guidance, because then you can go much deeper when uh, those words are not kind of dragging them back into the here and now of the physical body.
2: But it's also important to have an intention. Sometimes if you're just passively listening, effects are possible. But if you go into your experience with an intention, you're going to have a much better result. And I know this just from trying it both ways and you can try it both ways as well and by setting an intention it's very similar to this feeling of gratitude our advice is to when you set an intention is to imagine the feeling you want to have when your intention is achieved so i often use the example of very mundane more mundane example if you're trying to sell your home if you're trying to sell your house then generate this feeling that you would have after your house was sold. So say it's freedom or security. How would you feel if you felt secure? Generate that feeling within when you go into these meditative states and slowly but surely, just because it's just the way resonance works, is that if you can really maintain that feeling within, then situations in your outer life start to present themselves. So it's not just magic, it's not just that you do this and that shows up, you still have to take steps to make that magic happen. It's not like you know this force of God, I will say, just hands things over, but clues are provided, doors are opened, paths are created, but we need to walk down them. And uh, it's just a combination of all
0: of this that will help to bring these results. Great explanation. I think for now, so many people will be more clear what it means to manifest, to help manifest that what you want. And uh, well, to wrap up a little bit our conversation, I really would like to ask you about your book, uh, "Living the Mindful Universe." Um, tell me, how did you come to the idea to to write this book, and what is it about?
2: Well, I'll start. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Eben really felt like, um, you can say this in your own words in a moment, but but he felt like his first book didn't really complete the whole story. And he really wanted to include a lot of scientific validation and information into uh, the book, but his publisher wouldn't let him. And so he, he always had that in his mind, but he wanted to write more than just a scientific book. He wanted to write a book that brought science and spirituality together. And that's when, again, he really pushed me to help him write it. And I was all fine with supporting him, with helping him, but he wanted me to help write it. And so that's how it got created. So Eben really brought the uh, scientific validation, the scientific voice, but I brought the personal experience, the lay person's Uh, sort of walking through this world. Now the book is all written in Eben's first person voice, but uh, it's very, it should be kind of obvious when I'm brought in what what I'm bringing to the table. But I would say generally speaking, the first half of the book is mostly Eben. The second half of the book is mostly Karen, but that's very much uh, because we're leading from science to spirituality and all of my experience with uh, different aspects of spirituality came in.
1: Yeah, but it, it's very much a synthesis of science and spirituality, and the reason is the modern science of consciousness, and I work with hundreds of scientists around the world studying consciousness. The Galileo the Commission. Commission.org is an excellent resource. I'm one of the scientific advisors to that group, and people who go to GalileoCommission.org can very quickly read a Uh, a manifesto that kind of states the big position we're trying to make about the reality of of the fundamental nature of consciousness. Um, But this is an extraordinary revolution that's coming on the world. It's been brewing for thousands of years. All of humanity will benefit from this tremendous awakening that in many ways is simply pointing to the same uh, kind of answers that spiritual traditions both East and West have offered for thousands of years about oneness and about the binding force of love uh, and how we're all in this together and need to take care of each other. And so the more we can manifest in all of our dealings with others, uh, kindness, compassion, unconditional love, forgiveness, uh, gratitude, these are the, you know, the ingredients for changing this world for the better. And that's what this awakening is all about. And the reason it's different this time from the last 5,000 years of having various seekers and mystics reporting their journeys and religious orthodoxies is now the scientific method brings all this to a fore, the scientific study of consciousness showing the reality not only of the afterlife but of reincarnation. We, We need to understand that objective analysis of human experience necessitates a much grander worldview, and it's one that leaves behind the very damaging and simplistic uh, pseudo separation of scientific materialist thought that is, you know, where our conventional scientific world has uh, crumbled so badly in recent years but this is about taking true stewardship for our ownership of the planet and our responsibility to all life on this planet uh, to really live responsibly, to get rid of our addiction to fossil fuels and addiction to plastics, et cetera. Uh, But it's really about that inner peace that we can all come to gain through deep meditation, bringing that gift back to this world And living our lives accordingly. That's where the world will change. So
2: living in a mindful universe is really just speaking to the idea that that mindful universe is us. We are the ones with the minds in this universe. And so realizing that our minds and our hearts are part of this unfolding reality, that's what living in a mindful universe really tries to point out so that each of us can take that real uh, birthright and responsibility to heart and play a more uh, conscious role in how our world is really unfolding.
1: But very importantly, the modern science of that mind and consciousness truly is of a unification. Just as the founding fathers of quantum physics argued, uh, like Werner Heisenberg and uh, Erwin Schrodinger, about the oneness of mind, That's where the modern scientific study of consciousness is leading. So this very concrete reality of our shared uh, existence. uh, And as near-death experiences point out, uh, the golden rule is written into the fabric of the universe. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Because that life review that's been described for thousands of years in NDEs across all belief systems and religious systems is about Uh, when we uh, leave our physical body once and for all, we experience the main teaching points residual in our life, but from the emotional perspective of those around us who were affected by our thoughts and actions. So the life review is not from one's own perspective, but from the perspective of kind of the one mind and uh, the others impacted by our actions.
0: Which is kind of uh, antagonistic to the um, individualistic society we are living in. eh? that you live for yourself and in actually only thinking what's going to be your own future. And uh, at the end, we have uh, to feel what other people have felt in our presence. So that, that's something I uh, beautiful I learned from your book, uh, Proof of Heaven, which I really recommend to all the people who are listening to us as well. Um, <clears throat> because if you really have never heard about uh, what the near-death experience is, Um, I think this is a very special book that explains from the very first page how uh, extremely um, different and um, special it is Um, and to experience a world we are not very used to and that we have taken distance from. So when I read this book and I thought like that this is possible, I mean, it's, it's it's amazing. I mean, I'm a person who has a lot of images. I, I studied graphic design and I studied arts before, so I can imagine all these things. So when you're telling about the, the whole experience, I'm just looking at it almost in Technicolor. And I feel like, wow, amazing. That, that has been a, an amazing experience to read that book. Um, So Karen, Evan, I'm very thankful for all the explanation about meditation. Is there something you want to add to this conversation and in in relation to stress and and burnout? Is there something you want to say to the audience? Well, I, I would like to just point out that in this crisis that the entire
2: world is going through right now related to the pandemic, we really think of that as an opportunity And it doesn't seem so much like an opportunity when we're going through it, but both collectively and individually, we're all going through maybe some of the biggest stressors we've ever had in our entire lives. Many people are experiencing just that right now. And so it can be helpful to kind of get a a bigger picture of what might be going on. And we often say there's no way out but through. And as we go through this experience, it's an opportunity to learn and grow. And while we may not be feeling that growth in the moment, finding something to be grateful for in that moment is very key to helping us get through this. And we hope that on the other side, that we will have learned and grown so much that we will have solved some of our Per- pervasive world issues that have been, you know, at us for decades, including some of the things Evan brought up just briefly, like hunger, economic disparity, things like that.
1: Yeah, and I would, I would simply add that uh, um, there's all the reason in the world to trust uh, that the universe will help us through this. Uh, the more people who meditate, go within, come to realize that unity of mind uh, and that the best way to manifest love for self, the love of the universe for self, is by serving as a conduit to allow that unconditional love to flow through me to heal others. And the more I can participate in that great uh, uh, kind of trusting effort and healing process of the universe by taking the energy of of kind of the darkness of COVID and the economic collapse and the racial disparities and use that energy for very positive growth and uh, changing all of our society very much for the better uh, to where we can uh, take care of the least, the last, and the lost and uh, get rid of this economic polarization and a lot of the troubles with our uh, kind of modern world that have been exposed through COVID as being, uh, you know, very subpar. And so it's time to change this world for the better. The hardships can energize that tremendous growth.
0: Yeah, great. So the, the change is uh, lies within us, actually. It starts yes. there. It starts very there, much. definitely. Okay, and I, well, I just
2: want to take yeah. a moment, Gabriella, to thank you for taking your personal experience And using it, you grew through that hardship of your personal experience, and now you're teaching others how to do the same thing. And so that's an example of how we can turn these things that seem so devastating into positive outcomes. So we would just like to thank you with our gratitude for taking the time to find people who have these types of messages and sharing them with people who desperately need to hear them. So thank you so much as well.
1: Yes, Gabriella, thank you very much for the work you do. Uh, it's a, a real gift uh, the only other way people can reach us i would say is united Hope and is a set of webinars that we started at the beginning of the pandemic uh, every two weeks on thursday we have a, a unique guest and i would encourage people to sign up for united Hope and uh, go and review some of the guests we've had in the past and then join us every other thursday beginning a week after thanksgiving for the next one um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's our gift to the world to help everybody in growing into this tremendous lesson.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you, guys, for being here. And uh, <clears throat> I will put the links of your uh, website, sacredacoustics.evanalexander.com, as well, in the description of this podcast. I, uh, I just launched my website last week, uh, so I will put it also there so they can contact you if, and, of course, uh, read your books which uh, I really uh, recommend, all of them. Thank and uh, <laughs> and I hope I will meet you one day in person. That, that would, would be great. lovely. Would love to. Yes, hopefully we'll come to the Netherlands. Yes, that would be we'd awesome. love to come visit. Just come visit?
2: and visit. you and Pin Van Lommel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I would like to co- come in contact with him. I, I think I will. I will. he's a lovely generous open-hearted man yeah
1: absolutely yeah
0: yeah well thank you a lot and uh, well i hope to see you one day
1: thank you gabrielle
0: thank you